Yeah, that's, that's a tricky point because uh, I at the at this time it's really hard to find sensors that can do all this multimodal sensing, right? Both mm. temperature, shear forces, pressure forces, and so on. Um, so I think I, uh, this is actually an interesting point that you raised because I believe that at the moment we are we're seeing a lot of development of different sensing technologies. We have very good uh, temperature sensors. We have uh, good sensors that can estimate forces, other sensors that are pretty good at uh, detecting fine texture uh, of external objects. And uh, like one, one could ask whether we could combine the advances in all these different sensors. For example, if we have a multi-fingered hand, uh, can we combine different sensors such that we kind of retain this multimodal information uh, from all the sensors? Can you uh, include more and more uh, sensing uh, skills inside the same sensor, within the same sensor? And the other one, um, uh, so how can we use uh, state-of-the-art fabrication techniques of soft materials to uh, come up with very complex uh, uh, tactile sensor shapes uh, and how can we uh, efficiently uh, sense um, forces or any other quantity over complex shapes rather than the usual flat shape or like slightly curved shape that we have so far. In this podcast, I'm sharing my passion and curiosity for soft robotics where we share inspiring stories about the work we do and how we can push the limit. I am Mara Dweeney and this is Soft Robotics Podcast. Support for this show comes from Science Robotics Journal. I really find Science Robotics to be a great resource for reliable and tangible research where we can really push the limit of the science we do in robotics. Great way to stay up to date with the published article is checking out the released monthly issue. All the links will be included in each episode description. We will also happen to have a regular conversation on the most published science robotic articles, where also you can contribute with your question and thoughts about the research. Thanks Science Robotics for sponsoring Soft Robotics Podcast. So maybe firstly, I would like to ask you how you would like to define yourself? For people first time listening to you. Yeah, I am a robotics researcher, uh, specifically with a focus on data-driven tactile sensing. So I just completed my PhD at ETH Zurich, where I was advised by Professor Raffaello Andrea. During my PhD, I have first uh, worked on the design and the fabrication of vision-based tactile sensors. Then I worked on data processing on a data processing framework to extract relevant quantities from these tactile sensors and finally on applications of tactile sensing to robot control with my latest focus being on the transfer of knowledge from simulation to reality. Mm -hmm. Great. So I think your talk in TEDx, Jarek, was really great talk and maybe anyone listening should listen to it. Thanks. Maybe I think what I would like to ask you here when it comes to soft robotics what is your thought about sensor design? What's maybe you think from your the journey that in the research was maybe missing questions or maybe still missing in sensor design in general before going to tactile design, tactile sensor design? Yeah, that's a very interesting question because I think sensor design is not a trivial task. And the reason is that when you design a sensor, there are not just two variables, let's say, 
you want to optimize cost or optimize the sensing accuracy. But there are so many variables that uh, are even hard to think about when, when starting to design the sensor. And I'll make you maybe an example, make some examples with vision-based tactile sensors. So these the sensors are sensors that are based on, that use a camera, um, placed in front of a soft transparent material, usually a membrane, and kind of try to track the deformation of uh, this soft material. So this, the, the clear benefits of these sensors are the fact that um, they have very high resolution because they use the high resolution of the cameras uh, and they are low cost because essentially it's just a camera and some soft material. But there are other two advantages more on the practical side uh, that are often not mentioned and uh, the first one is ease of wiring. So usually you just have one cable, usually a USB cable, uh, to collect the data or extract the data from such sensors. And this is very important when you think of routing cables around a robot that is moving around. And the second advantage is even more practical and I think even more important. And it is the fact that to build, to fabricate these sensors, you only need very basic knowledge, like silicon uh, casting knowledge. And to use them, you need uh, computer vision expertises that uh, are already present in the robotics lab. And this, in my opinion, is a terrific deal breaker. So maybe there's two approaches here. You use vision-based camera here to sense deformation and maybe other way to embed sensing in the material. And we still have a limitation. When you view the two approaches, you mentioned now the advantage, but if you have a, like a, a general perspective about two approach embedding sensor or external sensing, how do you view that from what you have been done, you've done so far? Yeah, so I think, as you said, there are different approaches, right? Uh, Vision-based is just one. There are other approaches I can think of, uh, the classical capacitive resistive tactile sensors that have been used so far. Um, I would say that there is not yet a comprehensive solution like cameras are for the vision community. Uh, but I think there is being a lot of effort on different sides and different approaches to tactile sensing. Uh, and what I've been trying to do in my work is also to uh, find like common representations between the different tactile sensing principles, such that once we build up results on this, based on these representations, that this could be also transferred from sensor to sensor. At some point, there, maybe there will be a clear winner. We don't know when. Uh, maybe it mm -hmm. will come from outside the robotics community because there is a lot of work on uh, force sensing in general. Um, but I think for now, we need to all push in the same direction. So probably working on some intermediate representations and make really the results transferable from sensor to sensor. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you, what makes a good sensor design? You mentioned that using vision here, camera to see how the deformation of the material can you lead us about the, the material part? What kind of learning you do to understand how the material behaves or deform, and then you can estimate the forces or what kind of sensory you try to sense, like force, pressure, touch. What makes a good sensor design here? Yeah, you are, th this is a very interesting point because uh, I believe that, uh, yeah, there are two ways of approaching this problem. One is to get a sensor that gives you, you know, by design, um, very clean or useful uh, sensing output. And this is usually very hard to achieve. So one way of compensating for this is to have a bit more elaborate uh, data processing that can take the raw tactile data and uh, try to estimate more um, high level quantities. So you mentioned forces, for example. Um, 
what we have been doing is to convert this raw tactile data into uh, a map, essentially a matrix of forces in three dimensions. So we could estimate in this way both the shear components of the force as well as the pressure component of the force. And we believe that this is kind of very general uh, because from this representation, you can detect the contact locations because you have like, um, essentially, like I say, the map of forces, a map of uh, um, 3D vectors. Uh, and in this way, you can detect where the contact is happening and where there is no contact. Uh, but you can also um, retain information about the magnitude of the forces. Uh, so where mm -hmm. I'm applying more force or where I'm applying less force. Mm -hmm. Maybe I think it's, it's what was interesting. I think uh, we speak about the sensor architecture or how we, for example, you mentioned the lattice, for example, this matrix. And then you sense the contact point if we embed the sensor. But when I speak to your way, the accuracy level, because sometimes we, we try, if we embed the sensor, try to play with different morphology or architecture, that we can have accurate data. From the, your way, how, how do you think you can push the limitation of accuracy when it comes to the data of the, for example, touch of forcing? Yeah, so I can tell you my experience uh, that uh, when trying to address this data processing uh, part, uh, in a model-based fashion, so trying to extract maybe analytical models or use some numerical models in real time, uh, the bottleneck was really on the real-time feasibility. So if you want to do this in real time, you usually get to compromise the accuracy of your measurements. Uh, so the way we have tried to approach this study is completely data-driven, which means that we collect offline using very accurate simulations uh, or even in the real world, uh, a lot of data uh, that is very accurate uh, because, you know, like we don't care about the uh, real-time execution at that time during data collection. We just need to collect a lot of data. And then we train a learning architecture, usually a neural network, that maps the tactile output, like the raw output that we get from our sensor to the quantities that we are trying to estimate. For example, this map of forces. Mm -hmm. Maybe another situation, because... Um if we imagine that you have different sensor at one structure, like you want to sense, I don't know what, the touch and force, maybe temperature, something, uh, maybe t sensing different se sensor signals. How is this could be achieved to distinguish the, the right, this is the right signal for each sensor de to detect, like force and temperature. Do you have a situation like that? Yeah, that's a... Yeah, that's, that's a tricky point because uh, I at the at this time it's really hard to find sensors that can do all this multimodal sensing, right? Both mm. temperature, shear forces, pressure forces, and so on. Um, so I think I, uh, this is actually an interesting point that you raised because I believe that at the moment we are we're seeing a lot of development of different sensing technologies. We have very good. Uh, temperature sensors, we have uh, good sensors that I can estimate forces, other sensors that are pretty good at uh, detecting fine texture uh, of external objects. And, uh, uh, you know, like one could ask, uh, like one, one could ask whether we could combine the advances in all these different sensors. For example, if we have a multi-fingered hand, uh, can we combine different sensors such that we kind of retain this multimodal information uh, from all the sensors? Um, that's an interesting question, and uh, um, it's hard to give an answer right now, but uh, I think one way of addressing it would be 
uh, really of trying to combine the, uh, the, the, the benefits of multiple technologies into the same task. Mm -hmm. So I still I want to know your view about sensor design in terms of robotics from the literature, what, through what, what you have been doing, maybe what's still missing from your research and maybe in the field, what's maybe still missing, do you think, in the design process? Yeah, one uh, is what you said, right? Multimodality. Can you um, include more and more uh, sensing uh, skills inside the same sensor, within the same sensor? And the other one, um, uh, more on the hardware side, is really how can we scale this up? Um, we've been doing some investigation, for example, using multiple cameras to extend the sensing surface. And uh, it turns out that... Uh, the models are actually transferable. So the model, the sensing models are actually transferable across different locations of the sensing surface. Uh, but this is just still, uh, you know, research in the lab. So I think it, we need like kind of a stronger engineering effort to see uh, how much we can push this, how much we can scale this up farther. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think this, this will be an interesting direction. Another direction would be instead like more on the... Um, direction of uh, large-scale fabrication. Uh, so how can we use uh, state-of-the-art fabrication techniques of soft materials to uh, come up with very complex uh, uh, tactile sensor shapes? Uh, and how can we uh, efficiently uh, sense um, forces or any other quantity over complex shapes rather than the usual flat shape or like slightly curved shape that we have so far? Mm -hmm. For the shape... Can you elaborate more how it's maybe significant, significantly in the changing of the way of the design? If you speak about a complex shape, other shape that we already traditionally see in literature. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, so you can imagine like if you just have a flat uh, surface, sensing surface, you just have to place a camera in front of it. And, mm. uh, uh, you know, that would be enough. You probably just covered in the, all the angles that you're interested in. Um, if you have... Uh, shape which is a bit like uh, more complex let's say you have a spherical shape and you want to sense forces all over the sphere uh, you probably have to think about camera placement and how many cameras can you uh, do you need or like how can you minimize the number of cameras to observe uh, with a resolution that is good enough to sense forces at all the angles so maybe i want to ask you that's an interesting point that you mentioned how to maybe the the ratio of the number of cameras to make a good sensing. And I think that's an interesting part. Maybe I ask you what make a sensor maybe fail in the design? That's maybe that make the sensor setup or design fail. Do you have encountered what makes the design fail when it comes to the setup? Yeah. Uh, I think right now we have having, we're having a right, uh, like a quite tough time in um, making the sensors thinner and thinner. So there are some results already on making optical or vision-based tactile sensor uh, thinner because you can imagine the main bulk is, is the camera unit, which is usually quite uh, uh, quite thick. But, uh, you know, there are also very small cameras, but then the problems become the distance, uh, the focus, this focusing distance between the camera and the soft materials that we are observing. And uh, in this sense, the main issue is represented by the fact that, you know, cameras are designed for another task, that is to take pictures. Uh, so I think that at some point we probably will see cameras that are designed for this specific task, doing tactile sensing. So 
where we are interested in having the largest possible field of view uh, as well as the closest possible focusing distance. Uh, once we will see uh, cameras that have these characteristics, I think that the design could improve uh, even more, like and we could make them really uh, sensors with a very small footprint. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Maybe in this process, what maybe exciting moment or maybe something, because sometimes the researcher found something very interesting or maybe counterintuitive what we saw about. Do you have any moments that's very exciting or surprising in this uh, research? Yeah, I can tell you maybe about a system that we have um, built about last year. Um, so we essentially built a system that kind of resembles a classical inverted pendulum, you know, moved by a linear motor. Uh, but instead of having a mechanically fixed pivot point, we had a two-finger gripper. Essentially, we had the gripper with two fingers equipped with uh, two of our tactile sensors. And we tried to grab a pendulum with this gripper. And then by moving it, moving the gripper with the linear motor uh, and adjusting uh, the gripping force, we tried to swing up the pendulum, uh, making like performing a 180 degree rotation. Like same applications as a as a classical inverted pendulum, but again, just with a gripper instead of a uh, fixed pivot point. And uh, we found out that the most reliable way to perform this task is by modeling the system in simulation, where we don't use an analytical model, but we use a numerical model based on finite element methods. And uh, we could train in such a simulation a reinforcement learning algorithm. And... Uh, uh, we could use as well uh, in, the con in, the, in this framework, in the simulation framework, like domain randomization, which essentially means we perturb the dynamics, uh, the parameters of the, our dynamic system uh, such that the policy that we learn uh, with our algorithm uh, is kind of robust to these changes. So we could then apply this policy directly on the real world because the policy is robust enough and we could swing up poles that differed in uh, mass, diameter or length without even knowing the physical characteristics of this pendula. And once, so we really were thinking that once we transfer this uh, policy to the real world, we would have to keep training and training in the real world, but this wasn't the case. And the you know, behavior of the system was the right one already uh, with a direct transfer. And I have to say, we were really surprised. And yeah, it, it made us like, um, kind of even more aware of the power of simulation in the, uh, tackling or addressing uh, advanced robotics tasks. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Maybe before we go into Sparta, I want to ask you in the setup that you mentioned, for example, if you have a, a robotic finger uh, like gripper and the camera and the material for sensing here, uh, the deformation, how do you see the, this interplay between the movement or manipulation and you have the soft material as a, sen as a sensing, like, I don't know if you use silicon, for example, here, to sense the formation by the camera. If there's any maybe challenging here, bar the cell, still significant limitation or drawback in this setup. Yeah, yeah I think the main challenge is, uh, there, there, there are two main challenges. One is modeling the, um, the dynamics of the soft materials involved in the process. Uh, and the second one is modeling friction. I think this is very mm -hmm. challenging. It's been probably the most challenging uh, part in our recent work. And uh, um, so while for the second, uh, we just need to, to work more on this uh, and uh, try to find the right uh, friction models uh, for performing the different tasks. Uh, for the first, I think that uh, we kind of have one way of uh, um, 
kind of overcoming this difficulty and the the way we've been proposing is indeed to use forces so if our sensor can estimate forces uh, we can then use these forces in the models that we have available, uh, like bypassing the deformation of the material. Uh, you know, like for example, the forces, like the force distribution uh, on the sensing surface gives you an indication of the torques that you are exerting, that the, that, the, that the gripper is exerting on the external objects and so on. So I think like that, again, if we think about the right representation, there are ways of bypassing, for example, the complexity of modeling the deformation of the materials. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a simulation here, uh, because you already work about how we can close this gap from solution to reality. And you mentioned sometimes dynamics in the material is hard to capture sometimes. Can you maybe give more details in depth to that? How we can maybe close this gap? What kind of maybe parameters or maybe your take about simulation so far? for physical simulation of material, yeah. Yeah, so the, the issue is that I think for uh, complex systems, uh, uh, your simulators can be, you know, very good. Uh, you have very good simulation techniques, uh, mm. but, you know, for complex systems, there are so many things that can go wrong, like, you know, asymmetries that you haven't considered uh, uh, or, um, like in, like non-idealities in the in the material, for example, you consider it to be a linear elastic or like hyperelastic even, but then there are there is viscoelasticity, so it's hard to account for for all of these imperfections that we have in the real world. Um, so directly transferring policies from simulation to reality is often not feasible unless you have maybe a low-dimensional system or a simpler system like the one we were uh, we were using in our experiments. Um, so in this case, I think that uh, a way of tackling this is to try to, again, find an abstraction uh, from, um, I don't know, like a state, the classical state and dynamical system, uh, that since once we might kind of estimate this state in simulation, we could have another estimator in the real world that estimate the same state. And uh, in this way, there would be a way probably to robustify the process, you know, like if we have a policy that is based on states rather than on raw data, uh, it might be easier than to perform this transfer from simulation to reality. Now, the ways to estimate the states are uh, different. Uh, you could use uh, classical state estimation algorithms um, if, you, if, you, if you have some knowledge about the system, or you could use more modern techniques like representational mm -hmm. learning that aims to extract automatically relevant information from the data that you already have. Mm -hmm. Maybe the question, again, about the, the sensor design, how to make sure what you do that you get reliable data, you, you sense the right data. I don't know if you have encountered that sometimes the sensor maybe fail or... Have you thought about how to make sure it's reliable, the data is exactly represented the same as physical touch yeah. reliable force? Yeah, so, um, so the question is essentially like, how do we make sure that our simulations are, are good enough like to collect data in such a simulated world? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, how do we do it? So the first thing we can do is, of course, use, you know, most state-of-the-art procedures to um, to collect this, so to 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 build the simulation, and the way we did it is we teamed up with people working in continuum mechanics, such that we could really use mm -hmm. uh, the latest techniques uh, to characterize a material, uh, and then try to account for the nonlinearities of the material. So we consider our materials to be uh, hyperelastics, 
And then, of course, we have to test this, how accurate are the simulations, and uh, uh, in our setting, like in like, you know, contact setting. Uh, and the way we did it is uh, by using four sensors, like uh, classical four sensors, load cells, uh, and we performed a series of experiments with different contact objects, different contact conditions, so pressure, shear, and so on, and try to compare the total force, so the resulting forces uh, measured by our force sensor with those measured uh, in these uh, simulations, or like produced by the simulations. And uh, if you get a good match, which was the case, then it means it kind of gives you an indication that your simulator is kind of at least capturing the right trend. Mm-hmm. Maybe I want to take your views about the sensor design again in general. Is there something when you look to the research, maybe in soft robotics, you don't agree? You feel like maybe that's not the right way, or maybe you don't think that's maybe applicable when it comes to sensor design. Do you have any views about that? Yeah, so um, this kind of connects back to, to a point I only briefly mentioned before, uh, which is um, we're kind of sometimes trying to push uh, in the direction of the sensors that we build. Because as I said, like we are still at a point where we are building newer, new sensors because we are still trying to find the right sensing technology. Um, and then what happens is that we really focus uh, on our sensing approach and we develop techniques that are tailored to our sensor. Um, and I think this is not the right way to go because it might, as I said before, like be that at some point a new sensor comes in the field and it's kind of disruptive and, and everyone is going to use this sensor and all the techniques that we develop for other sensors uh, might, might be like unusable. Uh, so if we start thinking a different way, like if we think about, uh, you know, uh, common representations across uh, all the sensors, that can be estimating the deformation of the sensing surface, forces or contact locations, all these uh, kind of abstractions that uh, really abstract from uh, the specific sensing principle, then the techniques that we develop on top of these abstractions will be reusable over time. And I think we really have to focus a bit more on this. Mm-hmm. So I want to look at the inspiration, and I think that's something you highlighted in your TEDx talk. Um, do you think there's something maybe missing when we look at reality, how human thinks? For example, I find there's many examples in evolution, like spider, how they use the legs on the web to sense the, or detect a prey or see if there's damage in the web. So there's all fascinating examples about sensing. For you, that would you look for these examples and what you try to do? Do you think there's something maybe missing here? Or something you imagine that I want to push harder again. For example, you mentioned the example that the same layer may be challenging for the current camera technology. So I think that's also an excellent point you mentioned. That what are maybe missing to achieve something that exactly, not exactly, but similar to what we have in evolution and across different species here? Yeah. So I have to say, um, it's maybe going to sound obvious, but I'm really inspired by what humans do. Uh, mm, and uh, yeah. especially what we can already do in the young age, um, you know, we can already grasp a variety of objects in our young age. Uh, you know, if we are carrying a toy, like if a baby is carrying a toy with one hand, yeah, they can still use the other hand uh, to manipulate uh, doors, open doors, or like uh, move around any chair and so on. So I, I see this all the time and I'm, I'm kind of astonished by how far we are with our evolution compared to where we are. Uh, with robots and the sense of touch. Um, but there is, I think, uh, um, 
a very fundamental point that we're probably missing, and uh, I'm not sure uh, if if we can do something like this with robots, but I think it would it would be inspiring at least. Um, and it's the following. Uh, so imagine in the human setting, um, if someone pushes your hand, uh, like your right hand, uh, with with something, with an object or with another hand, and uh, uh, you, if the push is kind of light, you only react with your arm, right? You you just move your arm forward and you, you can kind of react to this push. But if the push is much harder, such that it can make you lose balance, then you react with all the body. Uh, so you probably sometimes move your legs to regain balance, uh, you move your back and so on. Um, so this makes me think that uh, maybe like to, to make this uh, sensing task or like sense both perception and action uh, tasks a bit more efficient, we have to think more in a distributed way. Um, so for example, if all these sensors at the hand or the robot hand detect contact, uh, maybe we don't need to you know, have a centralized manner, like looking at contact all over the body to react to this contact. Uh, while when balance is compromised, maybe it's yes, then we need like a centralized way, like so whole body uh, control uh, algorithm to, to kick in and, uh, and just adjust our balance. So I think we could probably go more on a distributed uh, direction uh, with the reaction to sensing, but uh, um, this is just a very interesting idea. I'm, I'm not sure if this will actually be feasible in robots. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Maybe since we're close to end, maybe a few questions. I think, since you mentioned distribution, I, I hear about distributed wave sensing. Maybe I want to ask you when it comes to the redundancy or resilience in the design. I don't know, maybe if we imagining that since um, in scenario like medical application and the camera would fail, for example, and you need to see how much forces are touched. How do you see a scenario like that to have this resilience or redundancy? Maybe multiple camera, but I'm curious about if you look for extreme situation, how you achieve this redundancy or resilience. You mentioned distributed, and I imagine distributed in, in the in, in a sense could be interesting here if I understood correctly, but did, have you first thought about this scenario like that? Do you think it's important to consider such a situation like that? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely important if you, if you really think about applications in healthcare. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, it's hard uh, because uh, this can happen. There is a camera failure. There could be a material failure, right? Like your soft material breaks and you have to replace it. Um, and I think the field is, is largely unexplored, uh, but it's definitely an important uh, aspect to tackle. And uh, I think one way, like the directory you can think of is really having like more cameras trying to cover uh, the same angle with multiple views, uh, you could have some kind of emergency cameras, uh, let's say placed maybe um, a bit farther away with a lower resolution than on the sensing surface, uh, but that could kick in at least in emergency situations when the high resolution cameras are failing. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. But I think it would also be interesting just the fact of detecting when there is failure. Uh, if the material fails, it's still very hard to detect whether there was a failure in the material with the cameras that we uh, currently have, like with the, the processing algorithms that we currently have. Uh, that would be already a first step, I would say, like first detecting failure and then how to react to this failure. Um, for example, we've been looking at uh, ways to reuse information across cameras such that if a camera breaks, you could just replace it with a new one and just uh, you know keep using the sensor uh, as you were doing before. Mm -hmm. Great. 
So maybe since your views about how we can use the camera here, maybe I want to ask you in, in a in a larger sense here, we have here the material part and you try to maybe develop models and using camera, an intelligent way to see how the deformation or the kind of sensory to detect. And we also have a smart material, uh, another way. When do you look for the maybe pushing forward the sensor design in general? What makes a good sensor design? It's, it, there's many here aspects, the material and you have the, here the, the models and the intelligent part and how camera can detect that. And, also, we have a smart material. So when you look to scope of these choices or spaces, which one do you think maybe need more uh, bush here? Do you think the material? Do you think the camera? Which one is significant to you? Yeah, I, I think the biggest part is really in the interpretation of data. Uh, as you said, like the models mm -hmm. to interpret the road axle data, uh, because they're like, it's simply like, we don't really know what, what what is going to be useful in the future. Uh, we don't know what the right representation is. Uh, we don't know what's the best way of extracting physical quantities uh, from uh, from the raw data. Uh, so there are so many unknown questions there uh, that I think we're going to see a lot, uh, in, a lot in this direction, just simply for the fact that uh, the, the control algorithms or the planning algorithms that are based on tactile sensing so far all based mostly on heuristics or very task dependent. So we don't have a systematic approach that we can say, okay, we have a new task in robotics, uh, we have tactile sensors, okay, we're gonna do it this way. Let's say, I don't know, uh, the same way you do motion control, right? For example, motion control, uh, you know that MPC uh, uh, is, a, is a very effective technique. So you just need to uh, formulate your problem as an MPC or a model predictive control problem. Uh, and then you you have to solve find ways of solving the problem. But in tactile sensing, we don't really know uh, like how to use the information for generic tasks. So I think that will be like probably one of the most uh, relevant research directions in the next future. Mm -hmm. Great. I don't know if you have maybe a moment of doubt when it comes to maybe the question you mentioned. Many interesting question here is still maybe to answer. But how you deal with doubt with the approach or the way you think about the the design of the sensor because you still there's a lot of work you have to do I think about in this research line but how you deal with doubt if you have moment of doubt in what you do do you have this moments yeah yeah absolutely I try to talk to people I try to get feedback from people of course from my advisor from my colleagues and uh, from people that sometimes it's even good to get uh, feedback from people that are not really into the field uh, because they they get like uh, uh, a different views on things because sometimes you are so much into into things that you tend to to think that uh, maybe some some direction is just very interesting only because it's a mere it's like a simple follow up of uh, a previous research questions that you were working on. Um, so instead, I think a good approach is to try to um, to put yourself uh, in the position of someone uh, reading the paper of the work that you're planning to do. Uh, without having read any of your papers before, uh, because in this way you kind of try to make standalone research uh, something that is really impactful because it can be uh, easily understood uh, by other people mm -hmm. and maybe used in other applications. Mm -hmm. Do you have any crazy idea when it comes to sensor design? Maybe when we sometimes sit and thinking about something crazy beyond what you really did in the research. Do you have any ideas about sensing that imagine how it looks like for robotics? Do you have those kind of thoughts or visions? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm quite I'm quite amazed by by camera technologies these days, and uh, I don't know if you you probably come across like some endoscope cameras, so the ones used for endoscopy. They are so tiny, like really a few millimeters uh, in all directions and all dimensions. And uh, uh, so I was thinking maybe, you know, there is a way to create kind of a flexible PCB with a lot of these little tiny cameras around. And you could really have like tactile sensor uh, vision based that would be like really the, the size of a leaf, uh, like the thickness of a leaf. and. Uh, mm. then, you know, it would open up a lot of, uh, of applications. You could cover up an entire robot hand or entire finger. Uh, these are interesting approaches, but of course the question is like, how do you handle data coming from, uh, all these cameras? And uh, again, there, the idea would be, can we do this on uh, specific devices, right? I don't know, um, FPGAs or uh, like even custom boards, uh, that could uh, make the data processing on board and then just give you a back uh, kind of high level sensing output. So, so these are like interesting questions more on the engineering uh, side than mm, the research yeah. side. But um, I, would f I think that would be very interesting to address these as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a question. What makes you feel fitness satisfied? And maybe if there's advice maybe it was given to you and stick to your mind, it was a life changing advice. Maybe what makes you fulfilled and satisfied? And also if I have advice received. Yeah, uh, well, I've received many kind of advices during my career, but I think I would mention just uh, some some very relevant ones. Um, already during my my masters, I had a, a TTH, I had a, a, a like a, a tutor professor that would give me advice during my masters, and he kind of advised me uh, to do the my master's thesis in a field uh, or like in a lab that I haven't, uh, I didn't done any projects with uh, before such that I could see how research is done in different places. Uh, and I think this was a really, really good advice. Uh, and at the time I was still working in a different field, not in tactile sensing. I was working more on model predictive control or uh, trajectory mm -hmm. optimization. Um, then during my PhD, also my advisor, uh, kind of encouraged me to um, explore, uh, to talk with to people in different fields. And that's what I've been doing. I've been talking also with, um, you know, completely uh, different audience or so like um, peers, like artists, entrepreneurs, uh, sometimes like going to children demonstration. I think you kind of open you, your, your, your views more and more. Uh, and that's how I got into tactile sensing. So completely changing field during my PhD. Um, and uh, I'm now kind of in a setting where uh, when I have uh, something like a topic that I'm not familiar with, I kind of enjoy it. I'm really excited because I take it as a learning opportunity um, to to kind of uh, uh, explore even more uh, the, the topics that I'm familiar with. Mm -hmm. That's good. I can see you're so talented and I can feel that uh, this is really something I think uh, admirable quality. So um, I don't know if you have any final words you'd like to say, uh, maybe in the sensing design, your views, uh, any final words you'd like to say? Yeah, well, I've already said a lot, uh, but uh, I kind of hope, especially uh, on this closing point, that, uh, you know, my experience has at least inspired or like encouraged uh, someone uh, to kind of look always beyond their own research field uh, to find interesting research questions and also solutions, of course. Um, 
And thanks a lot, uh, actually, for uh, you know leading this conversation. I, I really enjoyed it. And for me, it's in general very uh, exciting to communicate my research to any kind of audience. But uh, but you came up with really great questions, so thank you for that.